you know, it, there's just this curiosity, which is what to me makes the reef so special, is that it triggers a curiosity and a connection to nature that can't be measured by science. So we have Fiona Merida with us today. She's the acting director of our education and engagement section. She's also a marine biologist and someone who's completely passionate about the reef itself and has had a, an amazing career, I don't know how you manage it, of actually being out there on the reef and working with the reef and just experiencing everything that's so wonderful. So huge thank you for joining us today for this. and to actually answer these questions that everyone seems to ask. So Fiona, we always talk about, you know, we want people to see the reef, to love the reef and to protect the reef. Um, so I think start off with, what is it that you love about the reef? Why did you fall in love with the reef? Well, it's a long story that spanned a long time because I think um, every time I go to the Great Barrier Reef, I fall in love with a different aspect of the Great Barrier Reef. So it's been an ongoing journey of love, really, um, as corny as that might sound. The see the reef, love the reef, protect the reef is really what my story is all about um, because it was through seeing the reef for the first time at a very young age um, that led me to fall in love with the reef, find out more about it, um, which then led me to committing my life to trying to protect the reef. So whilst I've been fortunate, I've sort of always lived by that motto um, anyway and uh, that's what's really um, drawn me into the role that I do, um, the work that I do. So when you mentioned diving in and biodiversity, that's my two of my favourite words um, that, that exist. Um, so it's nice to be here to talk about it. So now you're not from a, um, a Great Barrier Reef community originally. So how did you, what was that first experience that you actually had with the reef like? Yeah, so um, my story is, um, I think, you know, somewhat common for people that you meet that end up being marine biologists or are the lucky ones that are marine biologists that might work in the Great Barrier Reef space. But I grew up in Victoria um, and I grew up in the suburbs of Victoria and, um, you know, in a regular size block with regular size animals and plants around. My parents didn't like us having pets, so we weren't allowed to have any pets. So my um, animals and nature was outside or was going and exploring um, with my father. So we used to spend a lot of time in the car, um, driving up the coast, finding new um, areas in Australia to um, experience. And I remember vividly Fraser Island as a location that stood out to me and it still does in my memory from a very young age. There was something significant about that place or different to anything else that I'd seen in my daily life before that. The Great Barrier Reef was the same, even though I had spent a lot of time in rock pools in Victoria and in the in the beach around the beaches there and exploring that intertidal area. Uh, when I was about five or six years old, my father and my family went to the reef um, and my um, off Early Beach, and my father. Um, and co ended up walking across the top of the reef, which is what you did then, uh, and then put a mask on my face and I actually looked down the wall of the reef. So on a very low tide, um, I actually saw one of those drop-offs. And I remember when I looked in that, the water in that moment, the thing that stood out to me was colour, shape, texture and clear water. It's, I, I, 
I can't, and that memory remains with me, I can't describe what the fish was. I just remember seeing different shapes of things moving and different colours of things moving and different structures. And ultimately that's biodiversity that was right in front of my face. But um, that was that moment was whatever you do that means you can do this all the time and look at this is what I need to do. So it's, it's a story I think we hear quite a bit from people who do work at the authority and that's that life-defining moment of when they first experienced the Great Barrier Reef. And as you, you've sort of mentioned, it was the biodiversity that grabbed you mm. right from that word go. So perfect segue, I guess, into biodiversity. The number one question that pops up when you go looking at questions around biodiversity, of course, is what is biodiversity? Like, what actually is it? What are we talking about? Biodiversity is the um, diversity, which means many of a particular thing. Um, it is the diversity of life on the planet. Um, so it is the diversity of species, how many species you get. It's diversity of ecosystems. And then it's diversity of genetics within those species, within those ecosystems. So is it sort of... This is a very much a, a layman's approach, but it's that, that you take the big picture and then you break down and you get further down and further down into that? Yes. Um, I, yep, I guess that's how you could you could describe it that way. Um, I, I always find it's easier to, to potentially talk about diversity. You know, if we talk about fish, for example, um, and if we were to look at an ecosystem that was diverse in fish, that might have fish, but it has a thousand different species of fish. Within those species of fish, each one of those species is slightly different from the other one. And it might be that they're a totally different size. One's huge, one's tiny. It might be that they're a totally different form structure. They look slightly differently, different, or they look dramatically different, but they have the key components to them. So that's where within a species, you're starting to get some more of that diversity. But if you look at a place like the Great Barrier Reef, which is a great example, you're actually looking at many types of life and then many species within each of those types of life. So you're looking at the most diverse place on the planet from a type of life that you're going to see. Now, we'll jump into biodiversity on the reef in just a sec. But yes, um, when we talk about biodiversity, what it means, mm. I think... Another question that does pop up a lot is why is it important? Like why do we need all of those differences within an ecosystem? So when what biodiversity has proven to, to provide is um, once a system becomes diverse or has uh, more diversity to it, it's proven that it's more resilient to change. So Something might come in and impact on a particular species, a particular family group, you know, a type of animal. If you have diversity, it's not going to impact through, you, you've got some sort of um, uh, room in the bank. You've got some things in the bank there where you can say, okay, so this ecosystem is relying on all of these different species and how they're all interacting with each other to remain healthy. If one of those species is removed from there or one type with that, you can rest on the other diversity that you have to keep that ecosystem potentially going. So what it does by having diversity, you're building in resilience into the system 
Um, it's the same as I guess if you look at it in major shocks like an ice age, for example, um, or uh, an extinction event that may have occurred, what has kept life going on the planet is that there was diversity. It wasn't just one type of animal that was then, um, you know, wiped out from that. What happens is it creates diversity is all about finding a niche. And if you find a niche, that's when diversity really starts to explode. Um, that way, if that niche is impacted, you've still got other types of life within it. The whole ecosystem is made up of that biodiversity Um Perfect segue again mm. to the um. The, what is it's said that the Great Barrier Reef is one of the most diverse biodiverse ecosystems in the world. Mm. So if we shift our focus to what we're here to talk about, being the reef, tell me about biodiversity and the Great Barrier Reef. Oh, the look. It's something that has filled documentaries, books scientific papers, lounge rooms, people's thoughts <laughs> for ever since the first time somebody saw a coral reef. Um, the saying is, and not the saying, the science is that coral reefs um, are, you know, the second most biodiverse place on the planet, rainforests being the first. But linking back to what I talked about, the Great Barrier Reef is not only biodiverse, but it has more types of life. So our thousands of species and hundreds of species to tens of species to then a few critical species that and, and families and groups that are within, you know, the higher um, end of the trophic um, makeup. Uh, we have more of those types of life on the Great Barrier Reef. Almost every animal kingdom and is represented, plants represented. And so you're not only going in and seeing thousands of species of plants, potentially insects and birds, um, you're seeing that as well as animals that exist nowhere else but on a coral reef, like corals, <laughs> for example. Um, so the Great Barrier Reef, really that is what talks to and, and the protection of the Great Barrier Reef has enabled a lot of species that we've seen um, not do so well um, with human pressures to have sanctuaries um, where they've been able to um, survive, where they've been able to flourish in the Great Barrier Reef. So it's one of the few places that, depending on what you want to see and you ask me what it was on your bucket list of things to see, I can tell you a place in the Great Barrier Reef where you're likely to see that at a particular time. Um, so there really is nothing nothing like it and that's why when somebody sees it for the first time it really is this this color and movement explosion where you actually can watch somebody's brain ticking even though they're on holidays and they're going wow that's the prettiest thing i've ever seen their brain is then going what is that why is it like that what's that shape is that alive you know it, there's just this curiosity which is what to me makes the reef so special is that it triggers a curiosity and a connection to nature that can't be measured by science. Now I really want to get back to having a chat about the the zoning that you've talked about and those actions but I think um, if you could just take us back one step to you, you talked about threats to yes. the reef. Um, what are the main threats? I mean that's one of the, the biggest questions that people do ask. Mm -hmm. What are the major threats to the Great Barrier Reef to its biodiversity to this amazing ecosystem? 
the threats to the Great Barrier Reef unfortunately or or fortunately haven't changed um, for for some time. We've been, you know, talking through our um, outlook report to those threats to the Great Barrier Reef and they really do remain um, some uh, water quality, coastal development, climate change and our threats um, and ongoing threats of from overfishing or, or legacy of those um, of those impacts on the Great Barrier Reef. And Obviously, one of those impacts is is of more of most concern um, to us from a global perspective. Uh, the other impacts are things that we're actively uh, on the ground working with local governments and state government to be to be addressing um, and and tackling on the on the ground as well. You you said water quality. Um, what is it about? poor water quality. Obviously, it's not great water quality if it's having a negative impact. So I'll just use a catch-all, poor water quality. What is it about poor water quality that is damaging to the reef? Like, what does it actually do when it heads out there? Although this may not be scientifically, technically correct, if you understand chemistry and how animals underwater work, I like to think of it as what is the impact of poor air quality for a human, for any animal that's trying to survive a plant, poor water, quali poor water quality is like poor air quality but in the water. So the impacts of poor water quality is certain things that can do well in that, um, usually species that potentially a pest-like or you'll throw a balance that's been operating quite nicely by favouring a particular food source. And when we look at water, you know, we pick it out of the ocean and um, we sort of sit it there. It looks the same to us regardless of where it is because it's the microscopic things within that water that the human eye can't see. And whether that's plant life or whether that's zooplankton or it's a for food sort, you know, a animal life that's in there, that is feeding a planktivore that is then feeding, a, you know, all the way down this, this chain, which could be, or up the chain, where we're then consuming that particular thing. Um, it's, it's, or it's taking over a particular area or system. And so why it's important for corals is because corals live in a nutrient desert, what we refer to coral reefs as an oasis in a nutrient desert, is that they actually create their own nutrients within a coral reef, a coral having a plant living inside it, um, and then the biggest competitor for coral is algae. Algae grows faster, which is why we then have all the seasonal um, variations. So in summer, the plants are going to grow more. And then uh, in winter, the corals are going to, you know, strengthen up and, and they're going to do their thing. Uh, the, the opposite sort of way. So it's this beautifully fine sort of balance. The moment that you're adding more plants, more nutrients and feeding plants in the water, you're, you, you can get these algal outbreaks um, and then, you know, uh, they will smother coral, not enable a space for coral to be able to grow. And then you get this phase shift, which is an algal-dominated reef instead of a coral-dominated reef. We can see the evidence of that, and you can see it visually now, but for 20 years, for the last 40 years, we potentially, you know, 
didn't necessarily pick up that cue that as you move offshore out of major cities and major rivers, you will find that the water gets clearer and you have more coral and coral reef environments. Um, one, because we can see them because the water's clear enough, but two, because they don't have that nutrient feeding feeding into the system. So that's just one example of what water quality and the impact of the water quality and the water coming out of our waterways into the reef and being cycled back. It's all part of the one system. So when we're looking at the issue of water quality and how it actually impacts the reef itself, I think that for me there's that question of where does poor water come from? What's what's the cause of that um, and sort of how is the, you know, this, this ecosystem set up to manage it? We used to have a, a, a graphic at the Marine Park Authority that was um, all a house on an island with drains that, and pipes that came out and then a coral reef underneath it. And the, the, the message on it was that all water drains to the reef. And so ultimately anything that we're putting down our drains, washing off our lawns, um, right up to scalable industrial type of, type of actions, all that water quality, all that water at some point is going to enter the catchment and make its way somewhere in the Great Barrier Reef. And if you think about all of the places where you could dirty water, which is effectively what water quality talks about. People think water quality is about water clarity. It is a little bit. It, it is about water clarity, but it's a bit more than that because uh, there are some things that can be in water that might still enable the water to be clear or there might not be life in water that you actually want in water, et cetera, et cetera. So it's, you know, it's pretty complex. But if you think of it from the perspective of all of those things that you know go down the drains um, end up out um, on the reef, the, there was all along the coastline mangrove systems, you know, in, in those critical areas where you would need them. And mangroves, while some people might think are, are quite smelly um, and there's some insects around, there's those sorts of things, they have a really play a really critical role because they're that buffer. Um, they're, the, they're filtering and they're buffering um, as and all of that water helping to clean it before it's making its way out to the reef. So when I was mentioning about this connectivity and this, and the diversity of ecosystems, it's that ecosystem that the coral reef ecosystem relies on, even though they're not sitting, you know, or, or amongst each other, you know, it's this sort of um, scale and perspective. So I think that's because for me, like I look at mangroves and, yeah, you're right. Yeah. They they smell. There are insects. It's you know it's not pretty beach. It's not the kind of place you want to go and hang out. But they are critical then. Absolutely, and I think you know that's one of the lessons and one of the things that that we've learned um, as well is that we, we like to live on beaches and coast coastlines. We're drawn to the water. We're drawn to oceans. Um, we're obviously drawn to freshwater and freshwater sources for our survival. But humans have also gone to the coast and there is something in that, in in being, in, in seeing ocean. Uh, and we're now learning that we just maybe need to do that a little bit further back than where we were doing it from um, initially and try to start to restore more of these mangrove um, systems now that we understand, you know, there's an enormous 
enormous, we could talk about mangroves for a whole other session really and the importance of mangroves um, as a food source, as a nursery, as this buffer um, because they're that the underdog, you know, of the coral reef um, eco, you know, system itself. But they play that vital role and and then we get into sort of, you know, some other things, as I mentioned, industrial scale, um, you know, food sources and in, uh, industrial scale uh, development, um, you know, ports access. All of these sorts of things are, um, you know, interfere with the water, uh, interfere with the benthic environment and can, you know, um, impact on water quality, which is why they are managed um, as intensely as they are in, in, in the Great Barrier Reef space. So the thing I'm getting through everything that you're saying is that level of interconnectedness. It seems that nothing can happen without impacting something else on the reef. And, it, and that's when we're looking at biodiversity, what it's all about. Absolutely. And that that's the... Uh, the, that's the part that becomes so tricky about talking about the Great Barrier Reef or providing a soundbite for the Great Barrier Reef or, a, you know, a quick response to a question because it's never a quick response to the question because it's so complex and this is what's kept me so passionate and motivated is that is the, the, it's this endless curiosity that as soon as you answer a one question it leads to another and the same is happening and that's what's the, so wonderful about science is that that's that that that's the art of science is we know this question now why and what and how um and to think that we can you can be hundreds you know 100 kilometers off the coastline 50 kilometers off never have gone to the great barrier reef live in a you know town in the western parts and be influencing the Great Barrier Reef with your actions is very difficult to, from for me, it's like somebody saying to me that I'm impacting on something that's happening, you know, out west in Charters Towers or I, it's a very difficult thing to, to comprehend but that's the complexity of water, right, always finding its way to the ocean. So it's no matter what we do, we are impacting. We are and, and we... That would be natural and you would think, you know, as another animal on the planet, we also have a right to resources and food and like every other animal on the planet has, you know, um, and we've just evolved to be very successful at what we do. Um, it, it's natural to do that. It's it's when we need to look at where that's occurring and did we get it right? Is it in the best place? Could we potentially move some of this, shift some of the impact to somewhere else with knowledge that we have? Um, as opposed to, you know, I always think this, people blaming themselves for actions and, and, and being responsible for a result that they had no intention on having in the beginning. I guess that, that leads to one of the other or the, the greatest threat. And I think it's widely recognised as the greatest threat to reefs worldwide, and that is climate change and the impacts of that. How does that impact from that biodiversity perspective? What are we seeing there? So the climate change, again, you know, is, is even, even more scale, you know. So we're now talking about the impact as an animal that we're having on the atmosphere. <laughs> so not just the impact that we're having, you know, what's going down the water in, in our drains, that you can at least follow the water and potentially see it going out. We're now talking about something that we none of us can necessarily touch or feel, 
know exists there and the science and the complexity behind the science of climate is phenomenal. And so you have these brains in the world that can understand that complexity and and be trying to explain that information and give that information to to everybody else so that we can understand the role that we're playing in in this change that we're seeing and in the rate of the change that's occurring. One of the things that is um, letting us know there's a problem um, and is one of our cues and one of those signposts for humanity and for humans to sort of say, uh, things are maybe not going great and we might want to pay attention to this, is coral reefs. Um, they are, you know, when, when I mentioned this, them being sprinkled around the equator, that is all about that finite temperature range that a coral reef can exist on. Otherwise, you just don't get it. And that's what we see, right? They don't, not going down to Tasmania to see coral. So very, uh, give you cues, which is where the canary in the coal mine saying comes from, but really it's because of the, the temperature threshold of these corals. And so corals will put display out basically on bright white. It doesn't get more obvious than that. It's like paint, me painting my entire body white and going, I'm not feeling well. Um, this is what corals do. So then you have the Great Barrier Reef, which when we're on a plane, we can actually see that white from the scale from a plane. Um, you've got a system that you can see from space. This thing is giving us a cue that this is not normal for us and this is not what we would normally experience and it's kind of not great. Um, that's probably an indication to humanity about where we're headed as far as the changes that we will see in the ecosystem. But whenever I get asked this question, I go back to the we're learning things that we didn't know before. So where are we going to, how long is it going to take us to learn this lesson and what are potentially the losses that we're going to have there before we make the changes that need to be changed because it's, they're significant? Um, yeah, so this is obviously and clearly a, a it's a global Yes. A global issue that needs that global focus. When when you sort of were talking about, you know, learning from what's happened before mm -hmm. and then making those changes, that's something that we have actually been able to make obviously some really good advances in that area. So from that, what have we learnt to do to help protect the reef? What are we doing now? that is actually making those positive impacts? Well, what we've been doing now, and we're fortunate uh, that our, you know, forefathers before us put in place that foundational protection of the Great Barrier Reef that I mentioned. We're coming into these new challenges um, in the best condition we could be. So because we have protected those other key threats of take or interference from, from the system. Um, we're in a better place as a coral reef um, than most and we're in probably the best place we could hope to be for a coral reef environment because of that protection. So what we need to do from here and what we've continued to do is to um, ramp up the things that we've seen have worked from a protection perspective um, and a management perspective and that's focus on things like let's keep as much coral as we can on the GBR 
for as long as we can on the GBR by doing some really clever things like crown of thorn starfish removal, being really strategic about how we deploy resources to control these crown of thorn starfish, which are eating quite a significant amount of coral, and we know that on the Great Barrier Reef. Um, so that's a that's a key step that we're taking. Obviously, protecting these areas from impacts of other human use impacts. So ensuring that we have um, that we've you know prevented uh, port development, expansion of port developments, which talks to dredging and and dredging in the park, which talks to water quality. So keep you know building that underlying resilience of the system is really important from here, and also working with the science with our science partners and helping to um, support them as they do the work and thinking around um, how they can provide some uh, areas of. I guess, um, you know, hope areas of uh, that we might be able to scale up that might look to protect the reef into the future. But I always say that the most critical thing that we're doing and that the Great Barrier Marine Park Authority is doing but that the Great Barrier Reef is doing is telling people, spreading the message of hope and the message of reasons why What's your reason why you would make a change in your household or a change as an individual? Um, may just be places like the Great Barrier Reef on planet Earth. It might be places like the Amazon. It might be places like Antarctica. Um, whilst I will never go there as myself because I don't like being cold, um, I still would like those places to exist. And so if that can be a driver for me to make some changes or some sacrifices in my own daily life to ensure those things are there, um, I think it's important for us to be spreading that message um, about the Great Barrier Reef, but also sharing a message of hope about the Great Barrier Reef um, because we don't know what the end result of climate impact will be on the Great Barrier Reef. We know it will be different. Um, to what it is now. We don't know how things are going to respond and we don't know what choices and decisions humans are going to get to make through that journey. So you're talking about actions that we can make mm. in our everyday life and our own homes that will help the reef. Mm. Um, and earlier you were talking about the actions of um, like the Crown of Thorns Starfish Control Program. Um, the other one you mentioned that seems to have had a huge impact is our zoning planning. Yes. How has that impacted the reef? I mean, obviously it's a big action, um, but what has that given the Great Barrier Reef? So the zoning plan, not only by giving us 33%, which is a percentage, and I don't like to play in numbers and percentages, but I do when it talks about no-take zones. So 33%. Um, when they did the rezoning, they, they broke the um, Great Barrier Reef down into 70 bioregions. And these bioregions, the 33% the didn't, didn't just get plucked out of nowhere and the green wasn't sort of just sprinkled all along the reef. It was put in place really strategically to ensure that we were protecting a percentage of every one of those bioregions. And that was about protecting biodiversity um, just from that very, you know, basis. So we have places, we have all of these places sprinkled along the Great Barrier Reef, 33% of them, again, that are no-take areas that are all about protecting that biodiversity. And we've been doing that for 20 years, in some places for 40 years. So that is ensuring 
the health of the of the system at it at a you know at an ecosystem level. Um, it also has demonstrated that in those particular green zones, we have more fish, bigger fish, less crown of thorn starfish, less coral disease. So, so our corals are in better condition within those green zones than the corals outside of those green zones. That's significant on anyone's terms or measures um, as far as pr protection goes, particularly marine protection of, of marine ecosystems and areas. So that will give us something in, in our bank from a resilience perspective. So we're really seeing what nature can do with biodiversity and for biodiversity if left well and truly alone. Yes. And we don't even know why. Look, we, we know there's more coral. We know the fish are bigger and that kind of makes sense. Why is there less coral disease? Why is there less crown of thorn starfish? Science is figuring that out. So we don't know, but we've had a positive impact just from stopping that, that take. I'm not suggesting, you know, that that needs to occur everywhere across the entire reef, but this is this idea of spillover and this idea of really strategic planning, zoning involves a lot of, of work and and it, what the marine park zoning demonstrated is that all types of users in the marine park in that moment in time, whilst it might not have been favourable for some people, um, everybody galvanised around the fact that they cared about the Great Barrier Reef, that they derived a benefit from it, a pleasure from it, something from it, um, and they all wanted to say in what that was going to look like. And I, I suppose that if we flip to climate change now, that's what we need now with a global community galvanising around something tangible that they will see the positive impacts of actions that are taken. And the Great Barrier Reef, obviously, as you said, it's that I, I don't want to use the canary in the coal mine because of the, the negative yes. around that. But it is really it's that snapshot into how we're going environmentally, I guess. So, look, Fiona, thank you so much for being here and talking to us today about all things biodiversity on the reef. Uh, before I let you go, because I know you're really busy, but what would be your takeaway message that you would like people to really take with them and think about when it comes to biodiversity and this amazing iconic wonder that is the Great Barrier Reef? I would like people to take away from this that I, I guess the people that are probably watching this or listening to this may already love the Great Barrier Reef, may already be concerned about the Great Barrier Reef. I would really like people that have never thought about the Great Barrier Reef, considered the Great Barrier Reef, had the capacity to, because I feel quite privileged that my job involves me doing that. There are a lot of things I don't think about. I'd just like them to give it a thought once. I'd just like them to ask a question about it. Put the Great Barrier Reef in someone you love's life just for a day. Just give them a second to have a think about it. Um, that to me uh, is the only thing that I think I can advise people to do as a choice um, is to, to put it in their lives because they have ownership over it as well. Um, they are impacting on it and they can derive the joy from it um, that we have people before us have and hopefully people after us will. 
Yeah, thank you. Uh, and thanks so much for being here for our Reef in Focus. Thanks for um, having me. And I'm sure we'll be talking to you again probably very soon. Thanks, <laughs> thanks Fiona. Thank you.